Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and I'm joined today by Micah Brinkley, who is the CEO slash executive director of the Children's Home, which has been in Paragold since 1955. Micah, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for inviting me today. So as far as I know, this is the first time we've been in a room together. Yes. Um, I know we have a mutual acquaintance in your sister, My sister whom I worked correct. with at the Buckle. Mm-hmm. And um, But we've never had a chance to really connect, so I'd love to hear from you uh, just you know, where do you come from and, and how did you get to where you are today at the Children's Home? Um, well, I grew up in and around Northeast Arkansas and Southeast Missouri. Um, my dad was a minister for 40 plus years. And one area, uh, one area where we can relate. Yes. I grew up as a minister's kid. Exactly. The dreaded preacher's kid, you know. <laughs> um, and um, for every every year of my life, except for fifth grade, I went to school at Crowley's Ridge Academy. I started there in kindergarten, graduated from high school there. Um but I only lived in Paragould for like the last month of my senior year. The rest of the time I lived either in Pocahontas, um, in the Zenith area in southeast Missouri, and I commuted, rode buses, parents took me, whatever, to get to and from school. Um, See, I race in buses that far out? They do. Wow, okay. They do. Uh, matter of fact, when I was a senior, we had a girl that came from Donovan, Missouri, to school at CRA. Wow. And her parents brought her to Pocahontas and got on a bus at Pocahontas and then came on to school. Okay. Um, so I've always been in the area, uh, always knew about children's homes, went to school with a lot of kids who lived at children's homes mm-hmm. um, at Crowley Ridge Academy. Um, graduated from high school, went off to college, and went to Crowley Ridge College for two years, which was a great choice for me. And then from there, went to Freed Hardeman University in Tennessee and got my undergraduate degree uh, in communications and PR. Okay. And um, So this is nothing for you, man. Well, not really. I mean, this wasn't the path I probably thought I was yeah. going to go to, but um, I came back and worked at CRC for a period of time and then was requested by the president of Freed Hardeman to come back over there and work, and um, I did. Um, shortly after, my wife and I got engaged and everything, so um, after a year apart with our engagement, we got married, and she went to Freed Hardeman and finished up her degree, and then we moved back to Paragool because it was one of those things, you know, when you get married, you have some of those things that are those non-negotiable things that mm-hmm. you make a decision about this is what we're going to do. Yep. Um, and one of those decisions for us was for our kids to go to Crowley Ridge Academy. Mm. Um, my wife had graduated from there. Her parents were teachers and administrators there. My parents had graduated from there. Mm. I mean, just we all were there, and that was family for mm. us. And so we moved back here. Not, not Neither one of us had jobs. We didn't know what was going to happen. Wow. But we came here to set something in motion. And that was what year-ish? <clears throat> 1993. Okay was when that was no i'm saying let me take that back i, t- I told you wrong it was 91 when we moved back here i believe that's good because bill would <clears throat> fact check it He'll yeah let you know i'm trying you know i'm, I'm gonna go back thinking about that I, it may have been 93 anyway <laughs> but um we came back here and and we'll uh, call it 92 yeah yeah there you go split the difference um I work different places i you know many people remember the northeast arkansas tribune that was here mm-hmm. the newspaper um I was one of the assistant managing editors there for a period mm. of time. Did a lot of design work for them. Mm. Um, we did a report, was a reporter for a while. Um, I worked at McCarroll Printing here in Paragould, yeah. which was wonderful. I loved the McCarroll family, yeah. and um, they were great for me and great to me. And and uh, and so <clears throat> anyway, I, I left there and went to work in Jonesboro and ended up with a company down there um, in sales, and was. Um, looking to sell some equipment here in Paragould, and I called children's homes. Um, and the reason I'd called them was my relationship with them. I'd known them. I mean, James Balcom, who was the director, who has passed away now, when I graduated from college, James was the first person I came to see about a job opening. He mm-hmm. was like, I don't have anything. And you hear those dreaded words, you need to go get some experience. Yep. You know, and so I left to go get experience. Um, so I actually came to children's homes on a business call. Um, and Richard Johnson, who's the president of Crowley Ridge College, uh, he was the one I was meeting with, and I walked into his office, and uh, when I sat down, he kind of looked at me and said, they tell me I can hire you. When do you want to start? Wow. Unbeknownst to that me. That had to be. Yeah. I'll tell you, what? It was. Unbeknownst to me, the young lady who was working with him as his assistant in development and PR had quit, and they were looking to fill that position. And, um, and so – what do you think he saw in you or knew about you that looking back that he's just like, hey, this job's yours if you want it before you were even like? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Richard and I had gone to school at, at Crowley's College together, so we were, we were friends. Um, and I had the relationship with James. Um, and Richard and I just knew each other through the mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
he kind of knew what work I was doing, and it just it just all fit yep. at that moment. Um, and then, so I, you know, I, I looked at him, and I, I've jokingly told people after I picked myself off the floor in shock, um, I, I looked at him and I said, I, I guess two weeks. And I went back wow. to my job. So you were ready for it. I was ready for it. I you went were excited. And, I went and resigned from the job I was at and gave him two weeks' notice, and I started at Children's Homes in March of 2000. What made you want to work at the Children's Home? Oh, it, I think because of my dad and, and my parents being involved in ministry like they had been all their lives. Um, and watching my dad as a minister serve families and serve people and mm-hmm. to help people in some of the weakest moments of their lives, mm-hmm. um, that just had an effect on me. Mm-hmm. And it, that was just always what I was, I think I was bent to do and bent to be, was just somebody that was more in a field where of, of, a, of some type of ministry, of a caring ministry mm-hmm. that found ways to help people in those lowest moments. That was one of the reasons I loved working for the, the for the Tribune at that time because they had a um, their policy kind of was at that point in time is that we are going to catch people in the positive moments of their life, not the negative moments. And so if I don't know if people remember, but many many years ago when the when the Tribune was here, they didn't publish wrecks, they didn't publish divorces, they didn't publish people getting arrested, bankruptcies, and all that kind of stuff because they're they're the Rockwell Publishing family. Um, their philosophy was we're going to catch people in their good moments, not wow. the bad. We're not going to kick people while they're down. Man, think about how much <clears> that has changed <throat> exactly. in the of social media. You're exactly right. And so wow. I think that was a blessing to work in that kind of environment where that was what our purpose was all the time. We were, we were looking to find people that were doing good things, finding people who were um, recognizing people in need in the community and figuring out ways to help them to make life better for them. Um, and I look back on it now, and, I, and I'm a firm believer that God leads us and puts us in places in life to get us to where he finally wants us to be. Um, and so I can look back at the different jobs I've had in my lifetime prior to coming to children's homes, and I can see that that thing that I learned at that work that I implement every day in my work at children's homes. Yeah. And had I not had that job, I wouldn't have been experienced enough to know how to do that where I am now. Yeah, it's so important to be able to look back, I think, and and recognize that because it does seem oftentimes when you talk to somebody who's in a job where they actually want to be and they're fulfilled by that job, it's like it it seems like they came about it almost by accident. Mm-hmm. Whenever they're in the moments, like, hey, okay, so this job came open and that door just kind of opened. Then you look back. And you can see how, wow, like all this seems like it was like orchestrated perfectly to set me up to do well. Right. You're exactly right. And so um, that was March of 2000 when I started there. And um, shortly thereafter, Richard left Children's Homes. He'd been there since he graduated from college uh, and went on to work for another company at that point in time prior to going to Curlidge Ridge College. And um, I moved into his position as director of development and PR and did that for a while. And then... James Balcom, who had been the director for many, many years, he he had been at Children's Homes over the course of about 50 years, either as house parent or um, director of social services or the executive director, and James got to the point where he was just like, it's time for me to retire. Hmm. And he was just seeing a lot of things coming that were changing the nonprofit world. And, and the big thing that was changing at that point in time was all the mess that had happened with Enron years ago that was starting to trickle down into the nonprofit world about. What do you mean by that? Well, there was just a lot of problems with um, transparency of, of fund of money and how it was being used and misused and things like that. And so there was a lot changing in the corporate world because of what happened with Enron. Well, those things were starting to trickle down into a nonprofit world mm. of making sure that your donors, um, <clears throat> you can provide assurance and transparency to them that with their giving, what they're giving to you, it's going where they intended to go. And that that money is going where it's supposed to go and not being misused. And it was just going to require a lot of extra work, a lot of a lot of policy writing, um, a lot of change. And James, he was very honest with the board, and he just said, I don't have the skill to do that. I'm, I'm not that detailed of a person to do that kind of thing. You need to get somebody else in here who's a little more detailed. Mm-hmm. And so they started bringing people in to look at the job and the possibility of replacing James. And they were all when good. When was this? What that year? was, oh, let's see. Ish. It was probably around 2002, somewhere around there. And um, the people they were bringing in were good people. My big concern was was that even though I had been there a short period of time, I had known about children's homes for so long, 
um, was just they were bringing in people who may have not had a good working knowledge of children's homes, and I was afraid they didn't understand our ministry, they didn't understand our purpose, um, our heritage, our legacy. Um, and that was just concerning to me because mm-hmm. that was something I didn't want us to sacrifice at children's mm-hmm. homes. And so I went to James and um, one day in his office, and I said, you know, I, probably somewhere in the back of my mind I'd thought about this position somewhere way down the road, but I'm concerned at where, what, what's going to happen now. And if you think I can do the job, I would be willing to consider doing this if you think I can be prepared to do it. And uh, James just kind of reared back in his chair and looked at me in, in, in that little smirk that James Balcom had and said, I've just been waiting for you to come tell me. Huh. And um, so shortly thereafter, um, he scheduled a meeting with the board of directors, and they interviewed me, and uh, they decided to hire me as his assistant. And so in September, I think it was around September 2003, uh, I became the assistant director at Children's Homes and worked with James for a year. And then in September of 2004, when we have our annual homecoming, we made the official transition, and I became the executive director and CEO, and James went back into more of a development position at Children's Homes. Wow. So you've been as CEO and director since 2004. 2004 in September, correct. Excellent. So tell me this. Um, what exactly is the mission? What is the purpose of the Children's Home? Well, our mission there is, number one, we provide a substitute home for children and families. Um, the kids that come to us, and, and it has changed through the years, um, but the kids who come to us in our residential program come from a lot of places. Um, you've got kids who come to us through problems in the home that's, that's no fault of their own. Okay, They're just being kids. But moms and dads um, aren't the best moms and dads, and a lot of times they're putting the family in crisis. They're putting the family in danger. They're putting the children in danger. And so sometimes the state has to step in or other family members step in to get those kids removed from that home until maybe mom and dad can get their act back together to be better parents so they can parent their kids. Um, The other end of the spectrum, you've got kids that come to us who they are there because they have made poor choices. Hmm. Now, sometimes those poor choices are a direct result of the home and what's going on in the home and not getting support from families and just looking for something and they search out for a meaningful relationship in their lives or a meaningful something, and they get involved in something that's not good for them. Um, And that begins to tear the family apart. And so the majority of the kids that come to our campus now in Paragould are privately placed by families for a number of reasons, because they're just, their families are in crisis. They don't want their families necessarily to be broken up, but they're just trying to figure out what to do to, to make them whole again. Um, and we get kids that are placed with us because parental rights have been terminated and, you know, the only people there are to take care of these kids may be grandparents mm-hmm. and grandparents are at an age now where they can't handle this on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes grandparents place these kids with us to be with us until they're 18, mm-hmm. until they're considered by the state to be of legal age, to be an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what our, our ministry is, is to take these kids that come from a lot of different places and um, to help them heal from whatever they've had going on in their life, help them to be able to um, let go of some of the baggage that they've got or to at least um, bring some finality to that baggage in their lives. Mm-hmm. But more importantly is it's to reunify families. Um, our goal for every child that comes into our care at children's homes would be for family reunification to go back to their moms and dads. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's a challenge because you can't expect to sit there and work on the life of a child and not go to the other end of working on the family. And that was something that we saw many, many years ago at children's homes was that we could change the life of a child drastically and make it much better. Mm-hmm. But if we didn't work to change the home, that child left us and went back to mom and dad. Exact same situation. Same situation and spiraled right out of control, thus just repeating that revolving door of kids coming in and out of the child welfare system. And we're trying to break that cycle, which is why we focused a lot more than several years ago on a self-designed program called Working Together, where we not only work with the kids while they're in our care, but one Saturday a month, we invite the parents or the guardians of the kids to come to our campus mm-hmm. and they work with our therapists and our caseworkers about how to be better parents. How do we deal with problems in the home? 
without the anger, without the abuse, without the big blow-ups? Um, how do we listen? How do we communicate better? How do, what tools can you give us just to be better parents? Because we're working on it with all this with our kids. And so if we can do it with the parents, then there's a much greater chance of reunification. And so for those families, it's not a required thing. We can't require them to do it. But for the ones who do come, which is a good number of them, we have, you know, 80, 90, 95% success rate that when those kids leave and go back mm-hmm. home, they get to stay home. Mm-hmm. Because not only have we fixed a lot of the problems and, and the communication problems in the family, we've given that family a resource that's ongoing for them. Mm-hmm. And so a year down the road, 18 months down the road, five years down the road, if the family starts to have problems again, we become a resource for them. And they say, you know, they call and they say, you know, we've got this going on and we're just not, ha- this is something new for us. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to handle this. What, what, what skills can you give us? What advice can you give us to help us do that? And so, um, and so that, that's the underlying thing of everything we do at Children's Home is just to say, how do we take kids who come from some pretty horrific situations in life, some through no fault of their own, some that are self-imposed, and, and help them reconcile those things in their own lives, but also reconcile that with their family to be able to go back home successfully to their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a challenge. It's hard because you've got some of those families out there that will come and every month. They will be there to do that program. Um, and you've got to keep in mind that the kids that come to children's homes aren't just from Paragould in northeast Arkansas. Mm-hmm. We have kids that come to us from all parts of the United States. Really? Yeah. How do they find you? They, word of mouth, through internet searches based on programs, based on things their kids like. We had a girl in our care several years ago from Pennsylvania, but she loved horses, and we have an equine therapy program, and so mom gets online searching for places and learns that we have an equine therapy program and brings her daughter to Arkansas from Pennsylvania because of that, because she felt like that would be something that that, that would be able to connect with her daughter to maybe to help get some growth out of her and get some positive feedback wow. out of her. How do you um, pick the different therapy programs that y'all have? Like equine therapy, I would have never thought of that. And yeah. I'm guessing that wasn't random. Like, oh, let's just try something with horses. But like, well, well, how do y'all come up with this? It's it's all part of our program here in Paragould. Of course, we have multiple facets to our program. The one here in Paragould is our residential program. It's, it's called our Experiential Learning Academy. And so we're trying to teach these kids through experience how to live life. Um and so one of the, of course, obviously the foundation of that is, is being in a family setting with our kids. Um, we don't live in dorms. We don't eat in cafeterias. We live in the family homes. How many kids are in a home? Uh, up to six in a home. Okay. How many homes do you have? Um, right now we have seven homes that are open. Uh, we've got a couple that we're recruiting house parents for right now. We've got one home that's closed because we're here. Once we get past the pandemic yeah. and the construction thing going on, we got a house that we're going to replace with a newer, larger home. Um, so when we are full, we'll be at nine homes fully because one of our homes we have out at the retreat center, which we own, which I'm sure we'll talk about, we're transitioning it into a foster group home for sibling groups. Um, but um, So you have uh, these individual homes, mm-hmm. and I guess part of your staff are these parents. Yes. So the parent, you hire these, yes. I guess, couples or whatever. They come yes. out, they live there. Yes. In the home with up to six kids. Correct. Okay. And they may have their own family. They don't have their own kids that live there too. Um, but we do that because we're trying to demonstrate to these kids what healthy family can look like. Yeah, it's so good. Um, these huge. kids, come, they come from a lot of brokenness. Yeah. They come from single-parent homes. They come from parents who are physically there but emotionally not there. Yeah. And so if we're trying to train kids to grow up and be productive members of society – we have to remember that these kids grow up, they get married, they have children, they build families. And we have to be very responsible to show them what healthy family living can look like to give them a choice. Because if we don't, all these kids know is what they grew up with. And so when they have their families, when they get married, when they have their children, they're going to replicate what they grew up with. I mean, Research will tell you that abuse is something that is handed down from generation to generation, and yeah, with absolutely. each generation, it gets worse. And so, part of our responsibility there with these family in this family setting is to break a cycle, yeah. to show these kids that when you grow up, there is another option. This is what it looks like. What is the best thing you think y'all do that 
helps to break the cycle? Um, I think that a lot of it deals just with that family involvement. I mean, we, yeah. we make decisions. We do things as a family. These kids see decisions in the home made as a family. Um, they understand that there is value in doing things well. There are consequences in doing things poorly. And we all deal with that together. And these kids have grown up in families where when they haven't been so good, what the family does is the family runs from them. And they don't have anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. Our goal is, is when they have those difficult moments, rather than run from them, is to draw closer to them and surround them and help them through those moments. Mm-hmm. I think and in doing that, it just creates a community for these kids to say, you know what, I'm not by myself. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people here who love me and want to want the best for me and who are looking out for me. And, you know, it's like all kids. Kids don't like rules. Mm-hmm. Kids don't like consequences. But we try to teach these kids those are very important things to have as you get older because, you know what, when you go to get a job somewhere, there's going to be rules. And there's going to be consequences when you don't follow those rules. Yeah. And sometimes those consequences can be detrimental to your well-being and your health because of depending whatever your job is, it can be hazardous for you. Yeah. And so it's, it's just that, uh, that family setting of, of saying to them, okay, we're going to function as a family. Yeah. Okay, and we're going to do this together as a family. Um, That's huge. I actually figured that you would answer that way, which is why I asked because, you know, I worked at Arkansas Counseling for years before mm-hmm. I went into pastoral ministry, and um, people want a quick fix. Right. You know, they want the program. They want, like, the the 12 steps or whatever. It's like, man, if I just do dot, 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 mm-hmm. by six months or whatever else, like, I'm, I'm fixed, right? Or the right. person's going to be better. And it's the reality is, like, you do have to reparent yes. people. And I love how, you know, you said you guys are Christ-centered. So it's what I'm hearing you say is you're trying to reparent people in the family of God. Yeah. Like you're trying to show them like, this is what a healthy dad looks like, what a healthy mom looks right. like, what how you handle conflict. And mm-hmm. that can't be taught, I don't feel like, primarily in a classroom. Right. Like it's just in the everyday stuff of like organic, like almost what seems like just by accident moments right. that come about and bam, all of a sudden it's just, you know, conflict with a sibling or someone in the house. And I would imagine here's a teaching moment mm-hmm. and it wasn't planned but that's the thing that ends up sticking with them the rest of their life. And they look back and say, the way my, you know, my parent or whatever house parent handled that situation is something I will never forget. Right. And it has a huge impact and you couldn't have planned it. You're exactly right. And that's what we tell our house parents. We tell our foster parents, we tell everybody that works with us is one of my favorite statements that I tell people is no amount of love is ever wasted. Hmm. Absolutely. No amount of love is ever wasted. Hmm. And so whether you have that child with you for in foster care for three weeks or whether you've got that child with you for 18 months in a residential program, the time that you pour into them and the love that you demonstrate to them, they will remember that. Mm-hmm. Because for many of those kids, it will be the first time in their lives they've ever received anything like that. Mm-hmm. And that's key because then all of a sudden when these kids get older and they get on their own, they remember those times. They remember those times where they weren't so great, but they were loved through it. They remember those times when... They could have been really lonely, but they weren't because Mm -hmm. there was a family of people that were surrounding them, Mm -hmm. even when they weren't so lovable. Um, And those are big, impactful moments for these kids. They remember those things. And we have have people tell us, kids tell us that all the time. You know, I was with you all for a short period of time, but during that time with you, I, I, I value that time so much because I felt safe. I felt cared for. I felt loved. I felt valued. And that's the other big thing, that part of our goal at Children's Homes, is to take these kids who society a lot of times marks them as problems, as unlovable, as unworthy, and to say to them, no, God didn't create junk, okay? Mm-hmm. You have value and you have worth. We're just going to have to find it, mm-hmm. help you find that value and worth again. Mm-hmm. So that when you get up every morning, you look at yourself in the mirror and go, you know what? God created me. And I've got to remember that today. And today's going to be filled with challenges, but that's okay. Mm. Because challenges make me stronger, Mm. however I deal with those challenges. And it's just like life for all of us. Life is like just waves, and they're high and they're low all the time uh, and everything. And our kids deal with that all the time. Um, And so the foundation of what we do is family, of making sure that we have a very good family environment for these kids. Um, there's a lot of the things that go on with that to help. You talked about the programs and how we choose programs. 
one of the benchmarks of what we do is academics at children's homes. Most of these kids come to us behind in school for a lot of reasons. Um, and I'll get on my soapbox here for a minute because I think a lot of people are way too quick to blame the problems of society, the problems of our kids in our schools, and they need to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Our schools are not the problems. Um, I'm a huge champion for teachers and for educators, and these are men and women who went to school to learn how to teach in a classroom. But because the home is so broken, they're spending their days having to be moms and dads to kids. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time in the churches, when I go to speak in churches, I'm like, let's, let's put the blame where it needs to be, and that's on the home. If the home wasn't so broken, if moms and dads were involved in the lives of their kids in school and, in, and things like that, then we might not have the problems we're having today, okay? But we're just leaving all of it up to our schools and acting like it's their responsibility to do it and then turn around and blaming our schools yeah. when it's not working. It's so much easier to point the blame than accept responsibility. You're exactly right. And so I, I, I've told people for years that I think one of the scariest sounds for a child is a school bell that sends them home. Because none of us have any idea of the number of kids that go to school every day who are abused before they get on a school bus. And when that school bell rings in the afternoon to send them home, of the terror in their hearts and in their minds, knowing that when they go home, what's going to happen to them? Yeah, or am I going to get a good meal? Or- right, or no meal, or is anybody even going to be there? Yeah, yeah. And, and so academics, it's no wonder kids struggle in school. Because they have all this stuff going on at home and nobody to support them at home a lot of times to help them do it. And teachers just don't have the time. I mean, they're, they're going to be teaching kids, but also trying to help these kids that are falling behind. And it's just way too much to ask for our teachers to have to do every day. Yeah. Um, and so what we try to do at Children's Homes through our alternative learning environment is we're helping kids that come into our care get back on the right academic levels. Um, they're very behind in school. And so we're helping them in a paced program to get it, to understand it. So we have a staff of teachers that we're teaching all the levels of math and English and history and science and all those kinds of things, um, trying to prepare these kids to be able to go into our schools here in Paragool, either Green County Tech, because that's the school di- public school district we're in, or Coleridge Academy, which is right across the road from us, to help them be productive and successful in school instead of it being a challenge to them. But to do that, it's not just about academics because you've got to remember these kids bring a lot of baggage with them. They have a lot of broken trust. They have um, just a lot of uh, inability to function in society. They don't uh, respect authority. Um, The list goes on and on. And so that's where some of these programs I talked about, like equine therapy, we have a wilderness therapy program too, where we are helping these kids Um, reconcile some of these other things that are keeping them from being able to do well in the classroom. Um, Teachers will tell you that you've got kids that are underperforming in a classroom. There are certain things you can go look at. Go look at if these kids are getting food. If they're not having meals, if they're not getting good food, they come to school hungry. They can't focus on academics. They can't focus on the school because all they're focusing on is a belly that's growling. You've got a kid that comes from a home of abuse. They can't focus on doing well in the classroom because all they're worried about is going home that day. Yeah, or they're not getting any sleep, right? Not getting any yeah. sleep because who knows what's going who knows what's right. going on. And so there's so many other things that we have to do to help set these kids up for success in the classroom. And that's where all of our other programs come in because it helps deal with those issues. It helps them learn, okay, how do I trust somebody again? How do I function? How do I learn how to resolve conflict? with somebody else Um, and all these things that we address in that. And so once these kids are in all these programs, they go from when they come into our care, being students making D's and S all the time in school to skyrocketing to making A's and B's in school and doing well and functioning well in school to go into our other school set up for success Mm. and not be problem kids in those schools, but be kids that come to school and they do well, they do their schoolwork, they're respectful for their teachers they get along with everybody, and, and they just function better. Um, and I think that's why back in 2013, which is a number of years ago now, um, our learning center was named one of three model alternative learning programs in the nation by the Department of Education. That's incredible. Because what we do to set goals for these kids and help them achieve those goals. 
Um, and it's not a cookie cutter thing. Every child is different and we recognize that. Mm. And so where this child needs to learn at this pace, this child needs to learn at this pace. And to try, cause our goal is to help each individual child get to a better place. Um, the other thing that we're doing now, a couple of things that we've added that I think that are, are good for us. Number one, we're, we're focused a lot on um, entrepreneurial work right now uh, of teaching these kids how to survive in a world that for a long time it's just been kind of abusive to them. Um, and so we're, we're doing a better job of saying, okay, what does it look like when you turn 18, you know, the world considers you to be an adult. And I don't know about you, but at 18, I was nowhere near being an adult, okay? Brain's not even fully developing. I'm, I'm 56 years old now, and I still contact my parents about <laughs> things and talk to my parents about things at 56. At 18, I was nowhere qualified to do that on my own. Um, and that's why there's a, ch- a phrase in child welfare talking about aging out of the system, that when kids turn 18 and they have no one to go home to, they have no parents, no family, they're just on their own. Um, and so what we're trying to do through two programs, number one is our entrepreneurial program, and we're trying to teach these kids, okay, you're 18, you're on your own, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. How do you go get a job? What are they looking for in an employee? And so we've had people who are business owners here in Paragould who will come to our learning center and talk to these kids about, here's what we look for in an employee. That's great. Here's what it's like to interview for a job or to fill out a resume or an application. And, you know, Here's the two things we need. We've had different people come in and say, if we can just hire people that can pass a drug test and be on time for work, you've got a leg up over a lot of people. And so we want our kids to understand that because, again, we're trying to train these kids to be productive members of society, not a drain on society. Um, But we're also teaching them practical things. I mean, all of our kids, they know how to cook. They know how to wash clothes. We're teaching them how to change oil in the car. I want to send my kid to your children's home. (laughs) You know, I mean, we're just, because in our thought, we're going, at 18, these kids may just go get a job, and they're going to live on their own. How are they going to survive? And somebody needs to teach them these life skills. It's so important. um, I actually have an app on my phone. It's called the Parent Q app, and and you put in your kid's birth date, and it it says uh, every week it updates. This is how many weeks before they leave the house, so to speak, when they're 18. <laughs> and it's just a good reminder of yeah, like, hey, the window's closing, and to try to parent with the end in mind is so important of like, mm-hmm. what are they What are they going to have to know to be successful? And right. you're not just going to be able to like have one sit-down conversation before their graduation and mm-hmm. say, here's everything you need to know. Right. You'll be highly intentional about it, which I love that you yeah. are doing that. Yeah, very highly intentional. The other thing that we've done is we've started a scholarship program um, for kids that, that successfully complete our program here in Paragool. Um, if they choose to go to college, uh, if they choose to go into technical training somewhere, we have scholarship money to help bridge the gap, and that's what the goal of this is. Um, and we've been very intentional in letting our kids under, helping our kids understand that success is not defined by a piece of paper on the wall. Okay, and for years and years and years, we all taught college, 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 college. And I am a, I, I am pro college. I'm pro getting that degree if that's good for you and you're capable of doing it. But a lot of kids today don't want that. Mm-hmm. They have a skill. They have a talent. And they may want to go to Black River and learn how to be a welder or an electrician or a plumber or go somewhere to learn to be a beautician or whatever. There's value in that. And I tell people oh, all the You t- can be a millionaire if you're an HVAC right. guy or an electrician right. or a plumber at today's age especially because right. nobody wants to do it anymore. You're exactly right. And so, you know, I, one of the things that I, I communicate to people is I'm, you know, Paragould, for example, Paragould is a city full of people that don't have that piece of paper on the wall, but they are productive members of our society, and they are excellent at their trade. They take care of their families. They worship in our churches. They pay their bills. They're involved in in programs of mission outreach or whatever else out there to kind of help people in need. They're good people, mm-hmm. and they had a skill. And, and so we're trying to teach our kids, okay, how do we put your square peg in a square hole and what's right for you. That's good. So you're helping them learn what they're good at, what they're not good at. Exactly. Gain self-awareness. Right. But the big thing is we're helping them pay for it. And so, for for example, we've got a young man who lives in Paragool, works for one of our companies here in Paragool. Um, He went to a private university. He he came to us in our residential program, transitioned into foster care, then went to college after he graduated from high school. Um, He went to a private university, was there for four and a half years, 
And um, because of our scholarship program, he graduated from this this university that's thousands and thousands of dollars a year with zero debt. Wow, that's incredible, Micah. Um, we have that's a, a <clears throat> gift. Matter of fact, he before we started the scholarship program, he had he had taken out one student loan for like twenty seven hundred and fifty dollars. And so at our homecoming in 2018, our gift to him outside of whatever, we, we gave him a check to pay off his one student loan. Uh, we've got a girl right now that's at the University of Wisconsin in Oshkosh. She's starting her senior year. She has no debt. Um, we've got a girl who lives in San Antonio. She went through, the, she left children's homes and went to college before we had the scholarship program. Um, but then she got married and went through a master's program to get her master's degree in social work. And so we wanted mm-hmm. to do something for her. So when she finished her master's degree program, um, we wrote a check for $25,000 and sent it to her to help pay off any of her debt. Um, we've got a girl that just graduated from Green County Tech that's going to be going to Arkansas State in the fall. She'll be getting scholarship money to bridge the gap by what they qualify for with financial aid that they don't have to pay back and what they actually need to be able to go to school and not have debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just a big thing for us because we just see so many kids who get out of college, if they go to college, go to some training program and get weighted down under so much debt. And when they get out looking for a job, having to pay back loans, and we're thinking, we need to help do this because mm-hmm. these kids don't have people to help do this. And uh, so that program continues to grow for us. And, 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 that's where this big program in entrepreneurial is, is because we're teaching these kids, okay, let's help you find your path, what your path is for life and what you want to do. The great thing about this program is it's not just for kids who are with us right now. Let's say we had a child who, as a matter of fact, the girl that's in Wisconsin right now, um, she left our care when she was probably 16 years old and went to live with an aunt who did a great job continuing to raise her. When she graduated from college, her house from high school, her house mom who she had here contacted her and said, "You need to apply for this scholarship because I think we can give you some help." And so, even if these kids successfully complete the program here and go back home to their families, they qualify for this scholarship money. Wow. And so, it's just a way for us to stay with these kids to minimize the negativity of that aging out of the system. Mm-hmm. To say, how do we support you beyond high school? How do we continue to be that family to you? And uh, I jokingly tell people I've got probably more so-called grandchildren than most people <laughs> because, you know, our kids and care, when they grow up and they go on and they get married and they have kids, they think of us as family. And so they send us pictures of little girls in ballerina costumes and little boys mm-hmm. in baseball uniforms, and they're proud of them. And, and you know, they just, they just want us to see their family and what's going on with their family now. And they make those strong connections with their house parents or with a caseworker or somebody else on campus. And, and that, that's just, you know, we're family. And they come to homecoming when we have homecoming. And they bring their families with them because they just look at us as being, while it was a difficult time in their life, in a period of their life that they don't want to address right when they leave us, more times than not, they come back to it. And they, because they begin as they grow older and they start building their families, they see the value of what we were for them. Mm-hmm. And they see themselves implementing those things within their own family. And that just recalls the time spent with us and what they learned when, we, when they were with us to help them be who they are today. Um, and that's probably the most rewarding part of what we do at Children's Homes. Um, yeah, I wish we could help every child. And not every child can be reached. Because there's a lot of dynamics there. These kids do go home, and they go home to families that sometimes are just not going to be willing to change, to do anything, and it's a struggle for those kids. Mm-hmm. And those kids, from the time they leave us, have struggles, and no matter what we try to do to help them, that struggle is just going to be there because their community around them is not good for them. Um, and so we do a lot of praying for those kids and, and, and try to stay connected with them as much as possible. But those families, when you get these kids that grow up and know what they came from mm. to where they are now and how that they are loving their kids in a different way and protecting their kids in a different way and and doing their best to be the best moms and dads they can be for them. Um, that That's all we need every day okay. to sit there and go, wow. And whether it's one child it happens to or 50 children that happens to, it's worth it mm. to do it. 
That's beautiful. I mean, and just the impact you're able to have on the world, you know, by, like you said, stopping that cycle mm-hmm. that could be going for generation, 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 right. just multiplies out per kid, right? right? And so it does. What else would you want us to know, those listening, um, about the children's home? Anything else that uh, we've not covered yet? I know there's, you talked about the retreat center. Mm-hmm. Um, is that where the ropes course is? Yes. That, okay. Yeah. So what is that about? You guys are connected there. We are. Um, well, let me say real quick, we, we have a, a, you know, a farm about five miles from our campus, which is the Emmett Smith Memorial Farm. That's where our equine therapy program is. Um, we have gardens there for fresh fruits and vegetables oh, for, our, nice. for you know the family homes to use. Um, we have a ranch, which is right next to the retreat center out at Walcott. Um, that is okay. a, it's yeah, a production yeah. ranch for us. So we're producing, we produce pretty much all the beef that we consume at children's homes through Excellent. that program. We're, uh, we're growing hay. Uh, we have stock ponds out there for fishing. The kids enjoy that. Wow. We have our areas only to, and I know a foot golf course. And if you don't know what foot golf is, foot it, golf. it's a combination of soccer and putt-putt golf. So That's it's awesome. a much better course, bigger course that you're kicking a soccer like ball a lot around. Of fun. It is. We have a lot of people that use it. Um, the retreat center is where we've spent a lot of our time making improvements over the last couple of years. A lot of people will know it as Crowley's Ridge Youth Camp. That's mm-hmm. what it was for many years. Um, and it was just kind of a summer camp program. But we just saw a greater need. And so several years ago, just because of all the competition of things going on, you had, you know, other other summer camps, kids and sports camps in the summer and traveling teams and things like that. So you started seeing camp numbers, summer camp numbers kind of decline a little bit because there was just a lot of things to compete against. Mm-hmm. And so I think our board and I decided, okay, we either got to go big or go home with this. And we decided to go big um, because we felt like there was a market for it. There was a need for it in our area, not just in our area, but in a pretty broad area where we're pulling people from. And so um, – we made the investment and we built a new large main building. Our old main building was small. We'd seat maybe 75 people if they were little bitty people. <laughs> and it was kind of falling down around us. It just wasn't well. It was it, it was built with the resources people had in that day to build a building. Mm-hmm. And it served its purpose beautifully, beautifully for us for a long time. But we just needed an improvement. And um, so we built a new building that's got a, a large dining room that will seat 240 people. It's got conference facilities. It's got a commercial kitchen. And when was kitchen. that completed? Um, well, we used it this past summer. The building okay. was actually – the building itself was completed uh, in 2020. Okay. Um, and cause yeah, because I've not been out there since then, so that's, yeah, I've not seen it. Actually, with you know, I work with Leadership Paragould here in, in Paragould. Yeah. And so um, at the time COVID hit, a lot of places that we typically had our meetings with Leadership Paragould, we couldn't go because of the restrictions on numbers. Well, our facility was big enough out there that we could have the meetings in the dining room out there and social distance everyone and keep having our meetings. Hmm. So Leadership Paragould was actually the first people to use the building for several months in a row because it was the only place they had available to do it because mm-hmm. everything else was either too small or was shut down because of the virus. Um, and so we added it. It's got a large pavilion on the back of it. And then we thought, well, we, we added another pavilion out there and then – we thought, you know, we've got these big bunk houses and we'd like to have smaller settings for campers in the summers. And so we're in the process of finishing eight new cabins out there. Um, so when it's all done, hopefully sometime in the fall, we'll be done with all of it. Um, our sleeping capacity will go to about 210 people. The dining room will sleep 240 people. Um, and it's a great place to use. I and mean, people can rent it for weddings, for family reunions, for corporate meetings, Churches can get it for. Yeah, we've used it to take guys out for the uh, ropes course, yeah. which is awesome. By the right, way. and that's you know the ropes course is out there, and that's what a lot of people it's incredible. Know about it yeah. because we we added the ropes course years ago because our kids at children's homes use the ropes course. That's part of our experiential learning program of teaching these kids how to solve problem, how to trust people, uh, how to meet challenges and and succeed in those mm-hmm. challenges, and so we had the ropes course out there, and then. Years ago, the ropes course, it was at Oak Grove Middle, Middle School that I think the Green County Industrial Training Center was using. They decided they weren't going to do it anymore, so a lot of those elements were donated to us, and we upgraded our elements out there. Um, and so your leadership paragraph started using that ropes course out there. Jonesboro Chamber of Commerce, I think, it brings their group up to use it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do. We have a lot of businesses that come out and go through our ropes course and bring upper management through or just people uh, in general to go through it. And uh, so that's been a big draw for us. And so now then where this facility used to be kind of just a local thing, 
we're pulling people in from a lot of places and we're, you know, we're getting ready. We're starting to have weddings booked out there and reunions and corporate meetings and churches are going to start are using it now for men's retreats or ladies retreats and just all number, all, all kinds of things out there. And so it's been a great addition to our area because we've got places that you can meet but the one thing our area didn't have was a place where you could meet for an extended period of time and have a place to stay mm-hmm. and if you want to come in on a friday with your group and stay friday night and saturday night and be there for the weekend then we've got cabins you can stay in and the cost of staying in those cabins is not much at all per night per person mm-hmm. i think it's like 15 dollars a night per person oh, to wow. stay in the cabin so it's not expensive to do it but you're in a you're in a, in a nice facility, but you're kind of just out in the woods, and just kind of out there with nature, and yeah. can kind of have a lot of places that you can get to to have 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 alone time if you just want some time, just thinking about things. Mm-hmm. And and of course, I'll go back and say from the very beginning, everything that we've talked about here, the underlying thing that we do, and you mentioned something about it, is us being faith based. We are very much tied to teaching everyone, every child in our care, about godly living um, and making sure they understand what God's intentions are for us in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're doing our best for every child we have in care, the families that we work with, is to help them find the need for God in their lives mm-hmm. and, and the purpose that God has for them in their lives. Um, and that's why it's important to us on our, on our campus. We, we are doing, you know, devotionals in our family homes and Bible classes in our learning center and making sure our kids are in worship services. We just want them to understand the importance of that relationship with God that's there. Mm. That when the world kind of gets murky and problematic for them in their lives, God is still there. And we just are working to teach them that. And so, which is incredibly important if you feel like you've been abandoned. You're exactly right. And that's where, you know, we deal with a lot of abandonment. I've not talked about our foster care program. We do foster care all over the state of Arkansas. We're licensed in every state to do foster care. Um, And so, the families that we work with, of course, we are are primarily funded by the Churches of Christ. The Seventh and Muller Church of Christ was who started children's homes. And so, our foster families that we work with are members of the Churches of Christ. And some people that turns them off, and I'm quick to tell people that while we only work with families of the Churches of Christ in our foster homes, we have a great relationship with programs like Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes and the Methodist Homes in mm. Arkansas. And so anytime a family comes to us and says, we want to be foster parents, just because they don't fit who we are because we're members of the Churches of Christ, we refer them where they can go to accomplish what they want to do. Mm. And we may say, listen, Arkansas Baptist is looking for people. Methodist homes are looking for people. And we help them get to the place they want to be to to accomplish what they want to do. Mm. Um, and so our foster care program, we deal with this a lot of just that feeling of abandonment. Um, you've got small kids who are removed from their home through nothing that they have done. Mm. Okay, it, it's, it's totally a parental problem. And moms and dads who are just, they don't value their kids. And... That's one of the things that we're starting to do at children's homes is outside of just recruiting individual foster homes is trying to work more in a sibling group model if we can because most of the kids that are removed from their home are sibling groups. It's not just one child. And so you get these kids who go through that first trauma of being taken from their families and the security of mom and dad, whatever that looks like to them. And then all of a sudden you've got a sibling group of three or four kids and you have no one that can take that many kids. So they go through the second trauma of being separated from their siblings. And who knows where their siblings are going to end up around the state of Arkansas. And so that's why you know, one of the things that we're promoting at Children's Homes right now is whether you do it through us, whether you do it through Arkansas Baptist Homes or Methodist Homes or go through the call or whatever it is, is finding people that say, you know what, I've got these beds and I can take a sibling group to keep them from being separated from yeah. each other. And to keep them together and not have that second trauma of just being ripped away from their siblings and just feel like they're just totally abandoned because that's what they feel like. Um, and so we're trying to work in some of those areas right now to kind of keep some sibling groups together in foster care, mm-hmm. um, which is a very important thing. The other thing that you know, we, we, we're thankful for is our, just our support base that we have. Children's Homes is totally privately funded. We take no government money at all. We don't take boarding payments from the state for kids in foster care. 
We don't take payments for the kids that come into our care from the state into our residential program. So our annual operating budget, we have to raise every bit of that money. We don't take money from the state. And there's reasons. And I'm we, guessing it's a pretty decent operating budget. Yeah. You know, our operating budget runs, you know, roughly about $4 million a year. Wow. And um, you've got to raise all of that. And we do. We have to raise all of that. But there's a reason we do that. And it's because, again, if our underlying thing that we are at Children's Homes is about godly living, relationship with God, and how that looks, what that looks like in our homes and our families and our own lives, uh, let's just face it, that that method of teaching doesn't fit with government. Yeah. It just doesn't. Well, what a great uh, testimony, too, to be able to say how you can trust God. And since 1955, we're proof that God does provide. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, that's one of the, that's a great message for our kids. We've had this, our kids say this year after year, Christmas especially. We have people that come and our kids do Christmas wish list and they buy these gifts for the kids at Christmas. And the one thing that these kids always just amazes them, they're like, these people don't even know me. And they've gone out here and purchased all these things I want on my Christmas list. It demands an explanation. Right. Why would somebody do this? You know, and we just tell them, that's just how God's people work. Mm-hmm. That's what God's people do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the kind of people that you want to build your life around because you know that wherever you are in life, God's people are going to come to your rescue because they love God and because they serve God. And that's part of their service to God mm-hmm. is to look out for people around them who are in need and figure out a way, how do I fill that need for them? Um, and so it, our, while, yes, we do a lot of teaching and a lot of practical living, um, so much of what we do with our kids is just them experiencing life through the eyes of God mm-hmm. and what God wants for his people mm-hmm. and how he wants his people to live. And when you get to do that every day, yeah, we have our challenges. COVID's been tough and, and all the things that we've had to do. But you know what? One of the things that we have seen through the last several months of COVID is God and his people have shown up and showed out for what they've done for us to make sure that we had what we needed to be able to take care of these kids and have sacrificed a lot to do it. And when our kids see those things happening, it just, it just solidifies for them the value of God mm-hmm. and, and what he's capable of doing in their lives. Um, and so that, you know, yeah, we have those great moments. We have those bad moments at children's homes, but so do our kids. Yeah, they all we we experience those same things at children's homes that our kids are experiencing all day in their lives every day. Sure, good moments and bad moments, but as long as we can find that constant thing that runs through the good and the bad moments, and that moment for us is God, mm-hmm. then we can handle them and we can deal with them because we're doing everything we can through God's word to His people through our staff at Children's Homes, to help our kids be able to handle the highs and handle the lows, just remembering that God is always constant. Mm. That feels like a, a great place to end. But before we do that, I was just going to see if there's anything else that you would want people to know or anywhere they can go to get information, anything like that. Listen, we, um, well, I will say we're an open campus, but right now maybe not so open sure. because of numbers rising. Yeah. Um, we welcome people to come to our campus, which is located at 5515 Walcott Road. If they know where Crowledge Academy is, we're just west of Crowledge Academy on Walcott Road on the right side of the road. Um, and if they would like to come out and tour our campus and see what we're doing out there, we would love for them to do that. Um, and just... I tell people the biggest thing that we need right now outside of just people's obviously support from people is just the daily prayers of people. It's challenging, and it gets more and more challenging every day Mm. in what we do. The problems that kids have now when they come to us are night and day different than what they were when I started there back in 2000. Really? In what way? Um, The abuse is worse. The, The problems that kids, the things that kids get into to mess up lives is much more extreme. Um it's just the problems are just different and and i think probably that one of the sad things about what we do at children's homes and one of the reasons that we try to work so hard with family reunification is we never try to replace mom and dad okay we're never going to do that right yeah if you take kids in our care right now who come from some pretty horrific backgrounds and you put them in a room 
and you say, okay, this is what you came from. You've been with us this long. Now we're going to give you a choice. Where do you want to be? They will always choose mom and dad. Sure. We will never break, break that blood bond. Yeah. And our kids will endure a lot just to be home with mom and dad. Mm. And so those are challenges that we face out there in trying to do that. But working through that and trying to change the lives of those families out there to make it possible for that to happen. Um, these kids come to us angry. They come to us disappointed. They come to us frustrated and every other adjective you can think of about sure, scared to death. Yes. The scared yeah. to death about negativity of life. Yeah. They bring all that with them. Their world has just been totally uprooted and they don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so it takes a while for these kids to finally find the value in who we are and what we do at children's homes. Um, and so it's, it, it, it does challenge. But the thing that helps us, I think, so much is just to know that we've got a lot of people out there supporting us. Um, our support comes from all parts of the United States. It's not just local support. We have a lot of people who have known about children's homes through the years, and they move off to some other part of the country, and they're still involved there, and they may be worshiping in a church and saying to the church, you know, we have this children's home in Arkansas that could probably use our support if we want to help them do something. And so they support us, and, and they start bringing – our summers are typically filled with youth groups on campus all summer long, mm. just doing volunteer work, working on one of our properties, working on campus, helping us do things. Um, and that's important for our kids to see too because we want – our kids are being recipients of a lot of things of people coming in and doing for them. We want them to see kids doing for them because our goal is for them to say, you know what, they did it for us. How do we pay it forward and do it for somebody else? Yeah, yeah. And so we've done that. Through, I mean, through the years, we've had house moms and house parent supervisor. I remember several years ago, one of our house moms, she would get up and they would cook this huge breakfast on for like Christmas morning, and they'd go to the emergency room in the hospital and just take breakfast to everybody that was working there because they were having to work. And so they just took it to them. I know recently our kids made signs and took it to the police station and to the fire stations just saying thank you for your first responder services and what you do for us. And so we want them to say, okay, just because people are doing for us, how do we then do that for someone else? Mm-hmm. Instead of us always being the recipients of these good things, how do we turn that around and say, okay, let's find somebody else? Because there's always somebody else less fortunate. There's always somebody else that's struggling like we are mm-hmm. or more than we are. Mm-hmm. How do we identify those people and do for them what's been done for us? Mm. And I think those are great teachable moments for our kids. Yeah. To say, you got people doing for you, now then you figure out how you're going to do the same thing they did for you for someone else. Yeah. And let's just keep passing that along. And I think as we do that more, it just creates a better community. And that's one of the things I love about Paragould. Paragould is amazing because Paragould takes care of their own. And you look at all the nonprofits we have in Paragould and the programs that we have that touch the lives of people in need. And when there's a need in this community, in this city, that need is met. Mm -hmm. And there's some organization out there that's going to champion that cause to get it taken care of. And you don't find that in most cities. Mm -hmm. You don't find that where people are just, you know what, let's just pull up our bootstraps and let's get it done. And let's make life better for these people. There's a reason why Paragould is called the Friendly City. And it's for that reason right there. Because we take care of our own, we identify people who need to be helped, and we just go do it and get it taken care of. Mm. Because if we help them, it makes our city better. Yeah. It makes all of us better because yeah. of what we did. Yeah. And I think that just I'd like to end the podcast by you know, extending that challenge or invitation to others of look for ways to help those who are less fortunate than you. Absolutely. And so it's very easy in my, even in my own life to always look at things that I'd like to improve that I don't think, um, yeah, there's just, you know, I, I can look at areas in my life and be like, oh, I wish this was like that. Or I wish this was better. But man, it's amazing how, if you truly want to be content, if you want to live up, you know, have gratitude in your life, like you want to have joy, you want to have happiness. It really does come more from not having the posture of, oh, can I get more? Mm-hmm. How can I give what I do have? And right. it's amazing how that just little shift you don't have to do a lot, but just looking for little practical ways you can meet the needs of other people. It, it does make their life better, but it also enhances your life and therefore our entire community. And Absolutely. So 
Micah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Enjoyed it. So that was Micah Brinkley. Um, Man, I really enjoyed listening to him uh, explaining his heart behind the children's home. I've grown up, obviously, in Paragould, knowing the children's home was here, but I had no idea um, what all they did and and, and been able to learn about that and then just uh, to hear uh, Micah's heart. Um, behind why he does what he does like it just made me even more want to support what's going on there pray for it i'm just so um yeah encouraged to know that um, that's taking place right here in our own city so uh, micah thanks so much for coming in and uh, for those of you who are still listening thanks for tuning in and if you have not already done so i would encourage you to Go to Apple, go to iTunes, and uh, give us five stars. Is that what it is, Bill? I always get confused yep. every time we do this. So five-star review, that's uh, not just like a way that you say, good job, fellas, but it's a way that um, really you can help other people find the great folks living here in Paragould and learn about them through this podcast. And so if you do that, that'd be great. Also, um, remember we are on all the different social media platforms. That's Instagram, uh, Facebook. We have a website, um, which is just paragoldpodcast.com. And if you've not subscribed to our email list, we would encourage you to do that. So as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.